Stop their hate messages. This is the end of LCD sound system. Yes. And it's ending in a strangely controlled manner. It's like there was a record, there was an announcement, there's a last show, everyone's aware that it's ending. When you start a band, do you imagine how it will end? Hello and welcome to Live Fix Radio. This is Chris. This is Colleen. And it's a, another exciting episode. I'm uh, excited to talk about the next best thing besides going to an actual show is watching a show. You know, On your nice flat screen TV at home. Uh, whatever kind of TV you got. But watching a concert documentary is the next best thing besides actually going to the show. You know, and well done concert, doc- concert documentaries, they do a lot of great things. You know, they either bring you back if you're at the show, or if it's a new artist that you haven't seen before, they make you want to go see them live. Or they let you see a new perspective of what happens at the show. Right, because there's some good concert documentaries out there that, you know, they're like uh, sociological experiments. You know, they, they, they catch the artist uh, with their guard down, right? A very vulnerable place. Good, good concert documentary. Then you got other concert documentaries. They're really not documentaries. They're more promotional films. You know, the, they want you to go buy the album. They don't really want to tell you the story of, you know, the true story of, a, of an artist. So we're going to kind of talk about all of those. So the music we heard coming in is from uh, one of the most popular and I think uh, highly anticipated concert documentaries of uh, 2012, and that's from uh, LCD Sound Systems, uh, Shut Up and Play the Hits. One of my personal favorites, uh, one of my favorite shows that I've seen uh, in recent years. I uh, saw them. Uh, it wasn't their last show, but it was the last time that I saw them uh, at uh, Pitchfork Music Festival. And uh, last year, LCD Sound System played their final show at uh, Madison Square Garden in New York City. And they uh, captured that and uh, put, it, uh, put it to a film called Shut Up and Play the Hit. So we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about the classic documentaries, concert documentaries, that uh, we think you guys should check out. And this show could really actually be its own podcast because there are hundreds and hundreds of concert documentaries that have been made over the years. Good ones, bad ones, whatever. Different formats, uh, different levels of creativity, different styles of storytelling, filmmaking, all that kind of stuff. So by, you know, I, by and large, you're probably listening to this show and you're going to go, oh, they didn't talk about this, they didn't talk about that. Well, if we missed the show, we want to hear what your favorite concert documentaries were so you guys can... Uh, let us know at the end of the show. We'll give you we'll give you some info on how to do that. So and Netflix actually just released what four hundred um, live music documentaries, something like that. Yeah, a whole a whole bunch of uh, documentaries. So so if you're, if you're a member of Netflix, which, which, check that out. Which is good because Netflix, you know, they they they've kind of screwed up, you know, a little bit in the last uh, you know year or so. You know, they've uh, raised prices and all that kind of stuff so i think they're trying to make good with concert fans you know and get people back so they kind of did this under the radar they unleashed uh, a whole bunch of uh, i think it's over 100 200 or something uh different concert uh music documentaries uh you know for for music fans so uh, a lot of those films that we're going to be talking about today are available on, on there or you can go on itunes you can download them we'll have links to all these movies that we'll that we're talking about so you guys can can check that out uh, but before we get into the actual you know talking about uh our favorite concert documentaries uh, we got some music news and colleen i think you you know you uh you you have some disturbing news to to 
to share. Some sad news to report. That is true. Um, Mickey Hart is wanted for assault charges. Oh, come on. Mickey Hart? Yes, Mickey Hart of the Grateful Dead. Oh, man. Um, What's he doing, man? An an amazing drummer, and um, if you don't like the Grateful Dead, you usually, most people like the drummer, Mickey Hart, because he's just very innovative, creative. Now, is this because drummers are aggressive? Possibly. I mean, mean, is it like that far-fetched? I don't know. You would think that he would bang away on the drums most of the show, and that would take some of that aggression out. But apparently that wasn't the the case. You're the professional here. You're you're the psychological professional. Apparently that wasn't the case on September 7th. What do you you think? Is that that true? I mean, are are there different types of therapy that drummers I don't know. I I would just think if you did some kind of physical activity, you would be less than, you know... Less capable, I guess, of, of, of attacking someone. But there's no proof of that. Have you heard of any, you know, are there, is there anything in the diagnostic manual of psychology to kind of ground that at all? And No. No, 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 there's, there's no, no studies? There's no there? studies on that, no. But, Interesting. You know, Maybe I, we should do one. But I have been trying to kind of, once the story broke, find any other stories or any history that maybe Mickey would have had. You know, assault charges, anger, is, is abusive. There? Is there? I didn't find any. None. So I didn't. I didn't find any. No. Wow. I didn't. So. Um, so I don't know. He's got a pretty clean record as far as that goes. Um, but uh, he is sought by authorities on assault charges. So if you see him, apparently he's now still he's, touring. Is he? Yeah, he's uh, playing in Missouri, I think, right? Or yeah. So I mean, he's still touring. So I don't with, know if they're uh, trying to work you know. something out. But um, but he's in trouble. There's definitely a warrant for his arrest. Um, there was an incident on September seventh after a performance um, by the Mickey Hart Band at Terrapin Hill Farm, and this was in Kentucky. And the re- police report um, apparently states that his ba- um, that uh, Mickey Hart was on his uh, tour bus when his manager asked the accuser. He actually asked the accuser to go into the the bus. And I guess it appears that um, Mickey uh, walked into uh, the back of the bus and then he shut the door and he proceeded to, the, what, what the um, report says is beat the living crap out of him. Hmm. And then, so Mickey um, Hart invited this guy up, up into the tour bus and, actually then, and his, then beat him up? Actually, his uh, manager went and got him. Got the accuser. He asked the accuser, yes. To come onto the bus. So I don't know if something had happened so during got, he, the show. So this guy got ambushed, kind of. I, you know, I don't know. I guess, wow. yeah. So um, wow. apparently Mickey Hart, now this is just a report, um, he threw me down and started cussing me, hitting me, pushing me around, then told me to get off my bus. Hmm. So. Um, <laughs> well, this is very similar to a... Hart is totally, uh, you know, Hart's saying he's baffled and... and by a bizarre claim of an assault, that he never did that. Huh. He reported that to um, the local newspaper, um, Marine Independent Journal. Wow. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know who to believe, who not to believe. Um, but the reality is it's, it's live music news, and it happened. It says yeah, it happened. Yeah, this happened, happened uh, you know, there was a story, an incident that happened two years ago, but the uh, Lamb of God uh, lead singer, he... Um, you know, was charged with, with uh, manslaughter in a uh, concert in Europe. And he was just now being charged, uh, held in, uh, I believe it's Serbia, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, 
But um, similar, similar thing. You know, they believe that the guy jumped up on stage. And, of course, you know, with, with heavy metal, you know, everybody thinks back to Dimebag Daryl. You know, there's a lot of sensitivity on that. Guys jumping up on stage. You don't know if, you know, what they're holding, packing heat or whatever, you know, or gun or could open up fire and, and kill you right there. So a lot of these, uh, you know, these, you know, is the fan at fault? Is it the artist, you know, the artist, take, you know, protecting themselves? Are they, you know, being too aggressive, you know? Or is there, you know, it's... Live music, right. live I mean, music, man, it makes you do squirrely things, I guess, you know? Who, who, who knows? But If um, you were at that show, though, we'd love to hear uh, yeah. if you saw anything. Most of the fans, I, I looked and see if there's any fans reporting things. And the fan, most of the fans said they did not see anything. Of course, the assault, the supposed alleged assault, um, didn't happen until it looked like after the, you know, after the show um, in the bus. Hmm. So, I don't, you know, I mean... The well, fans the, may not have seen it. Yeah, this so. is terrible, too. You know, I mean, the last show we did, we talked about the girl, the young girl getting punched in the stomach for a, uh, for a beach ball after a Lollapalooza, you know, and that's just, that's just terrible, you know, to have these things happening. But uh, what interests me is the, uh, is the behavior, you know, what's, what's driving people to do this, you know? Uh, was it a bad show? Was there something that Mickey Hart did during the show that maybe incited the fan? Did the fan maybe go to the show and have uh you know unrealistic expectations you know and you know i mean you're paying for a show it doesn't happen the way you want it to happen and you know well heck i'm gonna go to mickey hart maybe mickey hart doesn't doesn't like what you have to say and and there's been a lot boom. of reports i mean if you, even if you google it um a lot of reports of fans beating other fans up at shows mm-hmm. but not so many so many stories of musicians getting that close to fans where they're fighting with them. So this is sort of an odd situation, and hopefully they get to the bottom of it. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, other, other incidents this year, you know, a couple stabbings um, in uh, a show uh, in, uh, in uh, New York. So it's, uh, it's been kind of interesting to see these, these uh, shows get, you know, to that, uh, to that stage. So, but... Um, the other thing that's been interesting to me, totally on a different different topic, but uh, certainly well worthy, is that uh, there's this TV show called uh, Opening Act, and it's a, it's a new show, and you know we were just I think we were just what flipping around the, the uh, different channels the other day and kind of came across it, right? Um, what what are, what are your thoughts on this on this show? You know, because it's it's uh, you know it's definitely you know yeah it's. I don't know. It, it's real, but then it's not. You know, it's got these different. You know, it's got a lot of possibilities. But uh, what 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 do you think of this? Well, this I, show? I think it's nice um, to because really basically what they do is they take an artist from the internet, okay, that's been on YouTube or um, it's been spotted on one of the music's most of its YouTube. Um, they pick. You know, they have judges like five or six judges from the music industry, uh, Martina McBride. Um, and there's a couple other like music producers and things like that that make the choice, and I, you know I I don't know I think it's nice to see people um, get a chance to sing to large audiences, but most of them just are not. I've, the the few that I've seen, most of them are just not prepared for that, mm-hmm. and it's a whole culture shock for them. And some of them don't do well um, initially when they find out they're going to be singing to thousands. Right, right. Um, and and some of them are not. That's not their. Um, best, well, that's not that's not what they're good at. You know, they're not good at getting a crowd like that. Maybe um, excited about music, but it's maybe they're better at a small venue. 
Right. Right. You know, we see it in Chicago all the time. You know, some of the smaller venues, uh, Double Door, um, you know, and Lincoln Hall and things like that, they do bands do very well. You put them in a stadium, I don't think they can perform the same yeah, way. Yeah, it's a big jump. And it's so, a huge, um, the huge last psychological one, leap. The know? last one that we watched was someone opening for Lady Gaga. Right. Well, it was a huge audience, and he did well. But I, I you know, I don't know if. He could have kept that going. I mean, he did two songs, two or three songs. And he had some interesting... That show was probably my favorite so far. Some of the other ones were kind of cheesy and, you know, disposable. But this last one was kind of interesting because it was... They had this subplot of he wanted his mom to come to the show, you know. And he had a really hard time, you know, being connected to, you know, uh, or, you know, detaching himself from the emotions of his mom not going to coming to the show because of she's not a Lady Gaga fan or she doesn't agree with that kind of music or what she does. And he was so, uh, you know, so stuck on that and so, you know, just down and, you know, almost depressed, you know, at certain points his mom didn't want, wouldn't come to the show to support him, you know. And it's interesting, these guys, the, these uh, music industry professionals, they, uh, they almost play psychologists, you know, in some some instances, you know, in some in some ways, of course. Definitely the I use voice that, coach. I use, I use that I use that word uh, very loosely, of course, you know. Well, definitely but the what, voice what you, coach. You, you know, that? the voice coach does a lot of um, coaching, kind of mentoring. But there's some psychological things that they get into that I don't know are, are is appropriate for a voice coach to do. And you know, I think you have to be very careful of of what you're pushing someone to do. And, and I think mentoring and coaching is okay. But when it crosses the line of years and years of maybe something that they're dealing with mentally, um, I know, for instance, there was um, one of them that I had shown, there was some mental, some, some psychological abuse, some mental abuse that maybe happened when they were younger, mm-hmm. and, and bullying and things like that. And I don't know that, um, that realistically they could handle that on, on one show. And what are they opening up? What kind of, kind of worms are they opening up that they're not able to... Um, do you think there might be damaging stay with this person them, by pushing them in this way? I don't know if they're, they're damaging. I just think that, that we always have to be careful of um, pop psychology, you know, mm-hmm. of people playing psychologists and playing counselors when in reality they're, they, don't have the, they haven't learned the tools to do that. And, um, you know, counseling is a craft, and it's something that you get better and better the, the more experience that you have, but also the more training and the more, um, I guess just the more you're able to hone in on your, you know, your own craft and, um, somewhat like an artist, you know, like an artist, a painter, you don't just start painting like Picasso didn't start painting like Picasso when he was five years old right, right. or when he, you know, when he got out of art school, um, or if he went to art school or not, whatever his training was. So, I just think that we have to be very careful of some of these shows. You know, we're getting more and more into reality shows and, you know, observing people's lives. And I think people should be very, should be trained when they dive into certain avenues with people. And what about live music? I mean, there's, there's obviously, there's different things going on that, uh, you know, are different than any other kind of situation. You know, this isn't Survivor. This isn't, uh, you know, American Idol. This isn't The Voice. You know, this is, uh... Uh, a show specifically focusing on the the act of being an opening performer for a major artist. 
you know, kind of coming from nothing, and all of a sudden you're the opening act, you know, uh, which is kind of interesting because, you know, throughout history, you look at the bands who've opened up for other bands, uh, you know, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix, he opened up for the Monkees at one point, you know, and you look at, uh, you know, some of these other bands, uh, like the White Stripes opened up for, you know, some other bands that um, before they got to that stage, they cut their teeth in, a, in smaller clubs, you know, and they're trying to they're trying to apply the American Idol concept to the live performance, you know, and it's 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 kind of interesting actually. It's kind of it's kind of fascinating. I think the show could be a lot better if it kind of got into a little bit more of what what is actually going on inside the mind, you know, of of these uh, of these artists and what they kind of bring to the stage, you know, and and actually ask them about what they, you know, what shows they've been to and what you know how are they bringing that to to that performance, you know? And some of the psychological things that they deal with on the show, they do try to get to it real cut to the chase, but, you know, the, the show's got a lot of potential, I think, but uh, we'll have to wait and see what... Uh, to me, what, it, does, you know, it doesn't seem like most of them are, pre- are prepared for what they're going to experience. You know, like the guy who opened up for Lady Gaga, I mean, I don't think he understands what, you know, he said something like, this is going to change my life. Well, in reality, it may, you know, it's possible he'll get, like, a record deal out of it, he'll get some exposure and those kind of things. And that's the same thing with American Idol. I think sometimes these people, psychologically, they want it in their head. They've wanted it their whole life. But psychologically, I don't know that they're prepared and ready for what they're going to experience. I don't think stars that are multimillionaires are prepared, but I think they have sometimes a... A, a stair, a stairs, or some sort of level where they're walking up to that. You know, they're mm-hmm. not like you said. They're not being just thrown in it overnight. Some of these people are thrown in it within a week. You know, a week, two weeks. You know, they're singing with some, you know, famous stars. So, I just think we always have to be careful of that when we're doing, when we're looking at reality. I think we have to be careful of playing counselor and, um, you know, playing the psychologist, and um, just have to be very cautious of that. Well, what would you do with an artist, uh, you know, has never performed live, is going going to perform in front of Lady Gaga? How would how would you prepare that person? How would you help them, kind of think through some of the things that they've struggled with in their life, so that they're in the be- they have the best chance to succeed? What were some What would be some of the things? Well, that I you think would, what I would you'd bring them through. What I would bring to the table would be a hopefully a neutral perspective. So that, you know, I'm not someone that works for the music industry. I'm not their parents. I'm not their friend, necessarily. I'm someone who's going to help them work through some internal stuff that's going on. I don't necessarily think they need a counselor the whole time that they're, you know, becoming famous. But I do think that it does not hurt to have someone to bounce things off of that they cannot, you know... I mean, they can always fire their counselor, but someone that they... You know, legitimately, I mean, we watch some of, um, and we're going to get into this later, but, you know, we watch some of these documentaries, and I think, man, it would be nice for these people to process this stuff with counselors, mm-hmm. process it with someone who, um, and I know there are counselors that file bands on tour, and, um, you know, I've seen that, um, but I just think, you know, it's, you just have to, I, I, I just think you have to be neutral, you know, and you have to provide that safe environment when someone gets off the stage to process some things. You know, sometimes being on stage, not being on, st- you know, before you go on stage, there's there's a lot of emotional stuff that goes with that. 
And um, some of these people are, they're, you know, stars are people. And, you know, in our population, there's a lot of stuff that people are managing and dealing with on a daily basis. And, you know, I'm not saying the answer is, you know, everyone needs a counselor. But um, but I do think that when there, there are times in our lives when we need help from a professional. Yeah, you know, it's uh, very interesting. You, you bring up the uh, having a neutral person there that's not from the music industry and not you know a friend of that artist that 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 can kind of allow you to see it from a you know kind of an objective per you know uh perspective so kind of interesting i you know we're going to continue to watch the show if you haven't watched it uh it's on it's on e and um you know it's kind of uh it's it's in the right direction but again got some room uh, room for improvement so our last piece of news here and it's uh more of a discovery kind of piece uh a, a few a uh, few weeks ago i was uh flying to uh austin or dallas or wherever it was and i was on a plane uh, of course that's what you do when you're flying right you're on a plane and i was reading this article uh published in uh, united airlines um uh hemispheres publication and it was about uh kenny chesney's live show and he was being interviewed and it was some interesting things, you know, we're talking about here with opening act and kind of getting into the psychology of uh, a performer and what goes on in, in their minds, you know, and what uh, someone like Kenny Chesney, who has played thousands and thousands of shows, you know, and he had, you know, has a, uh, you know, a certain mindset. And what was interesting is that I, I learned three things about Kenny Chesney. And before I read this article, wasn't a big fan, you know. I'm not a not, not someone who listens to his kind of country music. I've heard maybe a couple of his songs, you know. So I kind of came at this what was you know from a kind of a skeptical point of view. But one of the things that he uh, he mentioned in this uh, his interview, you know, he said you really have no choice. I won't say their name on the record, but there was a band last year that left the stage because it was too hot. I don't get it. He says. I imagine we're you know. Uh, whether we're playing an arena, a stadium, whatever it is, that there's a section of the crowd that's only there because their friends or boyfriend or girlfriend, somebody uh, brought them there. They don't listen to the music. They invested, uh, they're not invested in your career. They just want to have a good time. By the end of the show, I want them to be saying, wow, what just happened? I take that as a challenge. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever shown up, has someone ever dragged you somewhere and then you decided, wow, I actually like that band? You know, I... It, you're, 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 you read my mind. You know, when I, when I read that, I was trying to think, you know, have I ever been to a show that I didn't want to be at? And I, I can't think of one. Do you have one in mind? You know, I, I, for me, I could talk about for me. I mean, I, um, I, I, I can't, th I, I, I'm trying to think of one because that's an interesting perspective to have as an artist. You know, he's, by saying that, He's not really focusing just on his fans. Like he's looking for people specifically in the crowd, playing his songs a certain way, you know, gearing his performance and aiming it at skeptics, while at the same time entertaining thousands of his fans that came to see, see and I think a certain happens. part of his show. You I know? think this happens at festivals. Because you're at a festival. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's four hundred bands. I mean, if you're looking at something like Lollapalooza, I mean, you're looking at, you know, tons and tons of bands. And you, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty certain you're going to be dragged somewhere. And uh, that ha that happened to me a couple, um, actually, it was, I don't know that I was dragged, but I was taken somewhere in, 
and dumped. And well, not dumped? dumped, but abandoned. Abandoned. With a blanket by myself. Um, I was at Lollapalooza, and it was... To, and I ended up... And I actually ended up seeing Mumford and Sons, and uh-huh. really liked them. Oh, yeah? But you never I, heard of them before. Never heard of them again. Never heard of them before, but... Just kind of like got dragged, and then everyone said, "Oh, we're gonna go see this one." And I didn't want—I didn't like any of the bands. They were go- all going to. See. You're saying I dumped you? Well, during the you show, you weren't the only one there, so I'm not gonna right. point you out. But oh. um, and so then I sat there and I just said, "Wow, this is actually—I actually like this band." Right. And there wasn't a lot of people there, and um, I was able to save the seat for the the headliner. But um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, that happens, and so. You know, I think sometimes. Do you think Mumford and Sons was 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 looking right at you and said, "You know, Colleen doesn't know who we are. We're gonna play right to her." Probably not. No. Not in a big crowd like that. No. no. But Kenny Chesney does. Apparently, Kenny yeah. Chesney looks right at the heart of not just his own fans, but the hearts of skeptics, wow. and seeks to win them out. That makes me want to go to Kesney, Chenny Kesney. Uh, uh, well, Kenny I would definitely show. be open to it. I'm not. I, I want to go. I'm definitely. I want to see what so. he does because up until now, I, I honestly, I'll be completely honest, I didn't have a lot of respect for the guy. Yeah. You know, I didn't really understand his music. Doesn't really appeal to me. But if that's how he's approaching the show, that's I'm that definitely makes me open go. to it. I want to see. I want to see what this guy does. I'm definitely you know? a, a closet uh, country fan. Yeah. So there are some pop, pop country. Because he's kind of like pop country, Yeah, right? but I, I but he's like some, some... But he's in some duos with uh, Dave Matthews, right? I, I right? like some, it, right? some country that's not necessarily pop, so... Yeah. So the other thing about this, the, the second thing I learned about Kenny Chesney is that the guy is... Uh, he's, he's a trooper. You know, he uh, it definitely plays with a strong sense of, you know, fortitude. And, you know, he just he brings everything. There's a story, you know, the, the interviewer asked him... Uh, you know, about a, sh- a show that he played with a broken foot in 2007. So he says, I was playing University of Southern Carolina, uh, toughest night I ever had on stage. I came up an elevator. My foot got caught, in the, uh, got caught in the elevator on the first song. The people came down, uh, were there all day, and, you know, I couldn't wait for the songs. You know, they, they wanted to hear the songs. So he played the whole song or the whole show with a broken foot. And he says he never drinks during his show, but this is the first show that he actually uh, drank during because of his broken foot. But he played the whole show with a broken foot. Wow. That's talent. Reason number two to see Kenny Chesney live, I guess, huh? He likes to play broken feet. This, this last part here is what's really interesting is he's going through kind of a transformation. He play, he's playing all these shows. He's going on all these different uh, you know, tours and everything. He says... Uh, there's a part in the interview where they're talking about meaning and everything. He said, I just decided I wanted to reconnect with people I've, I've become disconnected with. I'm always gone and I miss the people I should be closest to. It's a very spiritual experience to be up there on stage to sing in front of 60,000 people in the Meadowlands, but there needs to be something more intimate than that. Now, now that, that just tells me that you know he's at a very interesting point in his, in, you know, in his career where he's kind of struggling with, you know, playing live, being, you know, at the center of attention of 60,000 people, um, but his mind and his heart is almost someplace else. You know, he, he's longing to be someplace else. So kind of an interesting thing, you know. Next time he comes into town in Chicago, hopefully we can, we can check him out and, and, and kind of uh, 
report back on our uh, Kenny Chesney experience. So that just about does it for our news segment. So when we come back, we're going to dive into the um, concert documentaries that we think you guys should check out, ones that we've liked. Uh, some of them are new. Some of them are, you know, uh, some recent uh, favorites that have come out. And uh, some of them are some classic films that you guys are you're, you're going to want to download and check out. So when we come back, we'll jump back into those. exploration of our favorite concert documentaries and also some films that you know aren't necessarily concert documentaries but have some really good uh concert moments that uh definitely change your perspective on some very you know some popular artists so we're going to kick off uh we played a little bit of snippets already of uh, one of my favorite concert documentaries of the year shut up and play the hits the uh final concert of uh one of my one i think one of the best bands of the last decade uh, lcd sound system um you know, definitely, you can call them a hipster band, you can call them, you know, electronic, uh, you know, I think they've really kind of ushered in what we've experienced as a, as a culture with the, uh, you know, the electronic, you know, and they, they just, I, I just love these guys, you know, I, I love the uh, James Murphy, his, uh, you know, songwriting, just his ability to kind of be the anti-hipster, but still be, uh, you know, be himself, you know, and there's, there's a lot of interesting moments in the, uh, in the concert documentary, First of all, it's, you know, it's got this kind of interesting perspective. Uh, the tagline of the movie is, uh, it's, it's a funeral, so let's have the best funeral ever. So that's, that's, that's the part of the, you know, what this film, I think, is so important because we've done a lot of experiments here in Life Fix about, about concert fan emotions and about mourning. And essentially, what Shut Up and Play the Hits is, is a big mourning experiment. You know, it's a grief experiment, I believe, because of, you know, you have James Murphy and, and you have the band, uh, you know, going through this and the fans. Uh, so there's some there's some points about the movie that I like, uh, you know, and there's some that I don't like. So what what what, what do you think? You, you you watch this with me, Colleen, and you know you're. Uh, to me, I left um, you, just you, feeling you, you, sad for him. Like I just sad, felt really huh? depressed. I really felt like I was in char- like in the main uh, lead singer's you know character, and mm-hmm. just I, I just felt like, man, this guy he's done some great work. I mean, I personally am not a huge LCD Sound System fan, but he's done some great wor- musical work. But he feels as if he has nothing else to prove but the music. I mean, he's nothing else to prove to show his life except for the music, and mm. that made me 
pretty sad, you know, and I think hopefully things, you know, will change for him. And um, he had a quote in there that he said something like he blinked his eyes and he was, you know, 30 and they blinked his eyes again and he was 40. And, you know, that, that to me was, you know, just a sad, because I, I look back and think where my life is and, and what I've, you know, what mm-hmm. I've been able to experience in life. And, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if you're a musician, I don't know what you did experience and not because you are on the road, um, you know, almost, and I've heard some musicians say they've been, they were on the, they're on the road, you know, 300 days of the year or 200 days of the year. Yeah. And to me, that's just, I can't even fathom that. And some of them have families, you know, and, um, some of them have able to, de- were able to develop a family life to some extent. Um, but some aren't, you know, some of them don't want to put a, you know, family through that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of moments in this film that, uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's definitely a uh, it, it is sad. You know, I mean, it's a funeral. I mean, I don't know many happy funerals. Um, I've never been to a happy funeral before, but uh, this concert documentary definitely captures that. Uh, you know, it's been likened to kind of um, this generation's uh, the last waltz, uh, which is a movie we'll talk about in in uh, uh, in, a, in a little bit here, but. Um, there's some comparisons to that, but I think uh, the last waltz is definitely a, you know it's a movie that captured the band at you know their final concert, but it had a lot more people kind of mixed in to that. So that was one of your favorite you know, documentaries, then. The last waltz. No, the LCD sound system of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Not ever though. No. Not ever. No, because there's the the things that I loved about LCD sound system. Uh, was the Chuck Kloisterman, uh, one of the uh, rock critics. Uh, he interviews James Murphy during, during you know, it's kind of interspliced throughout the whole film. Um, it's, you know, it, it captures uh, James Murphy in a, uh, you know, um, kind of a real state. You know, he's wandering around his apartment. Uh, you know, you got him before the show, after the show, during the show. Um, the cinematography, you know, all that stuff. I mean, the there aren't any any special shots that I haven't seen before. There wasn't any really special thing done in capturing the actual sound of the music. I mean, I watching the movie, I thought a lot about seeing them at Pitchfork and what I was feeling during that show. I mean, I was bouncing around, going crazy. You know, I kind of felt like I was, you know, kind of put myself in Madison Square Garden as I was watching that show and kind of reimagining my Pitchfork experience uh, with, with them. Um, the things I wish they would have done a little bit more was show more of the fans. I mean... The fans are really what made this band so popular in the last, you know, in such a short amount of time. And they didn't really spend a whole lot of time. I mean, they have fan shots during the show, but they don't really interview the fans. They don't really let the fans kind of talk about what they've uh, enjoyed about the shows, you know, from uh, the LCD sound system. And if you're going to do a documentary like this, some of my favorite documentaries over the years have... uh, incorporated the fans you know, into that, telling the stories, putting it in, in the context you know, with that. And you don't get a lot of that. You, you didn't see that. Um, the one thing I did like about the movie, though, at the end, uh, there, it, it ends, the final frame of the movie ends with the fan crying. And it just kind of, it's almost humorous because the fan is in tears. Um, I'm not crying, you know, making fun of that fan, but I think it's, you know, there's. It was an honest uh, depiction of that fan's emotion at that time, and I think I think that was a beautiful moment. You know, great way to kind of kind of end it. But um, it is a sad film. But if you were at that show, if you were at those shows at Madison Square Garden, we'd love to hear what you guys thought about you know this movie and how that movie captured or didn't capture what you what you felt you know in there. Um, 
But uh, a lot of great interviewing, you know, with Chuck Klosterman. He, he's asking James Murphy, like, his greatest uh, failure as a band. And, and what's interesting about what he asks them is uh, Murphy responds back by saying, you know, I might have ended it too soon. You know, I might have ended it, I might have pulled the plug too early, you know, on, uh, on the band. So you're, you, you, you kind of get this sense of, uh, you know, did he do something maybe, you know, prematurely with that? So it's, uh, kind of gets you thinking, you know, and it, it, it's, it's a, it's a good movie, you know? Um, I think it's, uh, one that, uh, you know, it's definitely not as good the one that, as you're, that you're going to talk about now, Colleen. I think well, the, I, the one yeah, that you're going to talk about is uh Well, I'd like to talk classic. about one of my favorites, okay? I've got a few favorites. Okay. And one of them is the 1990 Madonna Truth or Dare. It's me. Well, hi. How are you? I realize I haven't talked to you in a while, and I, I have no idea if you guys are coming to the show, what night, blah, blah, blah. Well, whatever you guys can get us tickets for. Dad, I can get you tickets any night you want to come. Nobody talks about this on film? The insanity of doing this all on a documentary? Why should I stop here? But does anyone say it? Who's anyone? What a documentary. I think that's like the best documentary out there as far as live music ever ever why so far wow the honesty the um the naive um i don't know the the, the truth i guess that was shown in it um i just it, i guess it, the the she allowed a lot to be kept in mm-hmm. and there's probably a lot that was edited mm-hmm. um but the stuff that she allowed was at times, did not show her in the great light. In the great light, so now did that tarnish um, you? I mean, as a fan, I mean, a lot of these artists they want to make documentaries that make them look good, and they don't want to show the bad side. Did that? No, make I you, felt you like know? I felt like, like I could go out to coffee with her. Really? I mean, I felt like a closeness huh. because for some reason she was brought to human form, and you know, I think when we see stars and when we see some of these documentaries, it's like. Wow, they're these big stars, and it continues to to add to our feeling that they're invisible and they're these big. I mean, um, the documentary that uh, Michael Jackson did. To me, there was no real authentic anything to that. That was this, this that is continued. It? Yes, that continued to show the star that he was, and not his real uh, struggles and his real personality. And I mean, I didn't see that in there. Maybe someone did, but I didn't. That's not really what that movie was about, though. No, it wasn't no. out to show him. It was about no. the last moment of his life. But this one did a this I mean, documentary did a great job of live he was performance. Cr- he was but there was that moment in, the, in this is it where he talked where he's like, you know, he stops the show and he he's kind of freaking out. Sure. That, yeah, there's you know, some the, obsessive uh, the Jackson characteristics five, uh, that you see flashback with his moment dancing. that he has on stage. There, I mean, sure that, that wasn't real. I I don't know. It just wasn't this. The, if you watch this, and, and I encourage you, if you've never seen it. To see it, it will, it will allow you to see really. I think what is more true about um, artists than we think sometimes. I mean, I think we really think artists, everything's peachy, everything's great. They've got tons of money, but this this really broke down. Kind What's of your what favorite part in the movie? 
Um, my favorite part in the movie is um, when her dad came, comes to visit the yeah. show. Um, her dad comes with her stepmom. And, and some of the phone calls that she has with her dad are very honest and real. And her dad doesn't quite understand what she's doing, why she's doing it. And I think she struggles with that, just like any, you know, I mean, I think that's the case for any anyone um, talking to their parents about things that they love and things that they're doing with their life. I don't know that parents always quite understand what they're they're doing all the time. And, um, and, so, and, and so there was some, some truth to that. And um, I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know, and they came and saw her show, and um, you know they got to see her backstage, and they so they show some of that footage. She's almost looking for acceptance from her dad. You know, it's kind of interesting. Sure, I mean, yeah, you don't really Who see isn't? that. You know, you don't really, you don't really, you don't really think of that when you go and see somebody perform on stage. Your favorite artist, you know, you don't think about their psychological state of mind, where they're like, man, I wish my dad was out in the audience because, you know, I want him to accept my live show. She doesn't care about the fifty thousand people that are there. She's cared about that one person, her dad. That's you know. It kind of reminded me of like playing sports. You know, you're after after the game. It's like everyone's like, "Good job," or you could have worked on this, you could have done that. It was sort of like that feeling of after her show. It was kind of like, oh man, it took everything out of her, and you know, she was trying to look for feedback on how she did, and it's very much like a performance, like an athlete. So she didn't like Kevin Costner's. Response, Response yeah. Response, right? He called a, her show neat. Yeah. Yeah. There was a spot kinda, in there that Kevin Costner came backstage. and <laughs> That's a funny moment, man. That's one of my favorite moments. So too, it, right? it definitely is a great, great documentary to, to rent or watch on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's a good one. So that is my top. That's my favorite. So, so we're going to bounce back to uh, heavy metal. One of the uh, recent documentaries that has come out is uh, God Bless Ozzy Osbourne. And that is really one of the... Uh, one of my favorite documentaries of the year. Uh, it's not a full concert documentary, but it uh, has a lot of live music moments. Uh, it, one of my favorites, it, it, it uh, opens up with him uh, backstage. You know, this is Ozzy Osbourne. He's, what, 60 years old, right? now? 50, 60? Around, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's going through his, uh, you know, gurgling water, voice, you know, uh, preparations, just very anti-rock and roll, you know, kind of thing. You don't necessarily think, you know, the Prince of Darkness going through these kind of preparatory, you know, these kind of preparations for his show, but he's 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 in that stage, and it's just, it's quiet, there's no music, and he's just there backstage with himself, and it is so, it's, it, it's pretty amazing to kind of watch him go through that, and there's a lot of moments in, in God Bless Ozzy Osbourne that, uh, you know, talk about his live show. Obviously, the drugs are a big part of his life, you know, and they go into kind of why he used drugs, you know, to kind of mask and, you know, uh, push down the, you know, the self-esteem and, and all the emotions he didn't want to deal with. And there's one instance where he talks about using drugs and helping him get through the emotions, the anxieties of a live show. And I was like, well, you know, that's that's a lot like someone else that we've we've talked about before uh, in Eminem. So Eminem, you know, he's recently has uh, gotten sober, and he did an interview with um, what's his name, uh, uh, Anderson Cooper from uh, CNN. And during that interview, Eminem said, you know, all of the shows that I did when I was using drugs, the crowd was a blur. He goes, and then he says, now that I'm sober, I can actually see my fans when I'm on stage, and Ozzy Osbourne didn't necessarily say that, but 
I got to believe that there's an element to that, that now he can actually feel the show. He can feel the fans. He can see the fans. And the, the documentary has a lot of other, you know, uh, really, really cool moments uh, of uh, early Ozzy Osbourne and kind of see him go through, you know, all that and other artists, you know, talking about the loudest, the loudest uh, show ever, um, you know, that uh, I think it was, what was the, uh, do, 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 uh, where is it? Oh, Diary of a Madman. Some of his bandmates call that the loudest tour ever. So um, God bless Ozzy Osbourne. Definitely go see it. Uh, download it, whatever you got to do. It's, uh, it's a good one. It definitely gives you a, a good sense of what Ozzy Osbourne is doing now. I mean, he just came by through Lollapalooza, right? I mean, you had, uh, had that. Have you ever seen Ozzy Osbourne before? I have not. You know? No, I have not seen him. Uh, but I know he has um, yearly, he used to have the Ozfest. Yeah, I think they do ha- still have that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. They were. Uh, yeah. Well, it didn't make a lot of money at, at at first. You know, it was all proceeds. I think were given to uh, was it cancer research or something like that. But um, some interesting uh, interesting story. I mean, Ozfest. You know, has been a success. So, um, God bless Ozzy Osbourne. Definitely, you know, thumbs up on uh, on that one. And again, like, shut up and play the hits. The very last scene of God Bless Ozzy Osbourne has Ozzy Osbourne backstage right where you started the film and it ends with him you know he closes his door he gets on his hands he gets on his knees and he ends where he's like praying and meditating right before the show it's it's just something that you do not expect you know it's, it's interesting cuz in truth uh, or dare there's also prayer like before the you know, show a lot of these artists so, they pray they're, they you know they pray before I mean the show, I don't know that you know? she necessarily I don't know if it was more of a moment of silence, but there's some prayer in there with her and yeah, she's talking to God, a higher power, you know, spiritual, you know, there's a spiritual focus with uh, with that. So definitely uh, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, God bless Ozzy Osbourne, good good stuff, good good final uh, final ending moments there. So our next. Uh, Kind of segue into our show here is that we have uh, well you're a con- you're a country music fan so you got one more. I like I said I'm a closet country fan. You are. No yeah. one's supposed to know. You surprised that. me with this pick. No one's supposed to know that, so let's keep that between you and I. Okay. Okay. I promise not to tell anybody. So um, the a next documentary that I think is again a classic, old one, but a classic, um, is a Dixie Chick "Shut Up and Sing." So I don't know, and that came out in two. Uh, it came out in two thousand three, and oh, actually, I'm sorry, two thousand six, and it was um, it was the time when it, it explained. It was the time when they came out about President Bush, and they said at their tour that they did not agree with Bush, and they didn't like. They were upset that he was from the same state as them. Yeah, they okay. caught some flack for that. Yeah, and, that was um, a big. That was big when that came out. Was, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so. Um, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. So so basically, they said, just so you know, this is live on stage. Yeah. They said, just so you know, we're on the good side with y'all. We do not want this war, this violence, and we're ashamed. The president of the United States is from Texas. Yeah. And that was Natalie, the you know the lead singer, saying that. So. Um, I, you know, and this documentary came out, um, while that was going on. So part of, so part of the documentary is showing kind of 
the slack they got, and, and some of the fans praised them. But there was a lot of, they had protests. They had fans um, stopping on their records <laughs> and yeah, uh, funny getting rich, you know, buying all the records at Target, or, um, at Target at Tower Records, throwing them on the you know, ground and going bulldozing over them. Yeah, yeah. A lot of demonstrations. A lot of people demonstrating at their shows. Um, so you kind of watch that whole... A picket line. Yeah, you watch that hey, whole... Dixie, Dixie um, Chick show. Who would have thought? You kind of you get a chance to see that whole thing play out. So I like that part of it. Um, I don't know if politics and musicians mix. They've tried to make it mix for a long time, and I don't know if... Um, mix for great documentaries, though. It does, absolutely. I think it's great fodder for concert documentaries. And I don't think they ever regretted it. Um, I don't think they ever regretted it at all, but um, they did write a song, Not Ready to Make Nice. So that was pretty interesting. It was a song that came out um, to exactly to President Bush, not ready to make nice, not ready to cha- take back their words. All right, so we are uh, talking here about concert documentaries, and uh, didn't know you thought about that, those Dixie Chicks. I wasn't aware you enjoyed that movie so much, so it's uh, good, good to know. But um, some other documentaries that we've, uh, we've enjoyed over this last, uh, last year or so, one that actually came out last year, is called The Other F Word, and it's about uh, basically... What is the other F word? Oh, yeah, I should I should clarify that. Uh, in the context of this movie, it signifies not the four-letter word, but fatherhood. And it's basically about punk rock musicians who have you know had a su- successful year in punk rock. You and know, settled being, down. Uh, being rebel right, punk rock naturally rebellious. You know, it's got kind of a you know it can be juvenile sometimes. It can be you know um, anti-establishment. So what happens when those punk rockers become dads? And they have to teach their kids how to be good people, nice people, in their own selves, express their own creativity. Not swear, not spit. Right. Don't draw, you know, don't swear, no don't get tattoos, you know, all the all these things that, you know, parents are or supposed to opposite, do, right? Or the opposite, get all of it. Right. Everything's permissible. Or embrace it, right? You right. know, so, so the other F word, this really interesting movie, uh, it follows uh, the main story. There's a whole bunch of other punk rockers in there from... You know, flee from uh, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, but it focuses on Jim Lindbergh, uh, the lead singer for uh, Pennywise. So, what I love about this movie, and what I love about all these favorite mo- concert documentaries, it, it is uh, it's real, and it has a rawness to it. So you see Jim Lindbergh go through this real, you know, emotional struggle. You know, because what he's actually done is, you know, he has this persona that he, you know, this uh, life he lives at home, and then when he goes on to tour. Uh, you know, which, you know, he has a, um, you know, he's got to put on a show, he's got to please fans, you know, he's got to, you know, do the punk rock thing, and you see him struggle with it. You see him struggle with being away from the family for, for what, 200 
shows a year or something they're yeah, doing. Almost, all these, well, yeah, about 200 right? days a year. Right. That he's actually either, you know, at a show or on the plane or away from his family. Punk rock was supposed to be about no responsibility, no rules, I'm going to do things my way. Maybe punk rock was never meant to grow up, but it did. Basically. Yeah, and it, it's tough, you know, but I love the part about this movie is this, it's raw and it's real. You know, you have moments with, uh, like, Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, he uh, he gets choked up, you know, and starts to cry about, you know, things that he experienced on stage or emotions that he felt on stage. Uh, and also, you know, the experiences he felt as a, as a musician, um, you know, and, and trying to deal with those, you know, as a, as a dad with his own, with his own kids, you know, and, uh, really, really powerful movie. And, uh, there's lots of moments about, uh, you know, these, these, uh, guys at Pennywise, uh, kind of struggling with the fact that the guys in the band, they don't have kids, you know, they don't have families, so they want a tour. And then Jim Lindbergh struggling with, you know, actually, he actually leaves the band at, uh, at one point and leaves and uh, the guys don't like that you know they want to keep playing keep playing these shows so definitely definitely go check that movie out it's called the other f-word and I want to see more documentaries like that because that's that's something I think is uh, is 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 very real you know last uh, like for example the last show that we did uh, we talked with Steve Weinberger you know him and I had a great chat about uh, concert fans becoming parents you know and vice versa when, when do you take your kid to a show if you love to go to shows, obviously being a parent, you can't go to as many shows, you know, so you got to kind of struggle with that and figure out how to how to do that. So the other F word really kind of takes it from the artist perspective. And it's amazing too, looking back at a couple of the last podcasts that we've done, you know, interviewing people who they'll tell you their parents took them to shows and it was huge for them. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's, there is definitely a fine line of, you know, exposing your kids to shows and, you know, kind of holding back from some of it too. Mm -hmm. And not, you know, trying to not allow some of it. You know, I think there's a good, good medium place for that, you know. And I think um, kids who were taken to concerts, I know my dad took me to concerts and I loved it. I mean, it changed my life. So, I mean, I... I he, just, he didn't just leave you at the, at the gate no, and come back. No. He went with you through the whole show, right? Yeah, there were a couple of them. He actually was there with me, uh -huh. you know, sitting next to me. So, um, you know, and then when I got older, of course, I went with my friends, but... That was the, that was a huge part of, of why I love music and you know, we had music on at the house and we you know listen to records and things. That was a huge influence on me and I think that that's true probably for these other you know fathers that that um, expose their kids to to music. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, again, I'll say it many, many times before, and, and I'll say it again. A good concert documentary is raw, it's real, and it shows the artist in their natural, real element that's not promotional that shows their flaws more so than their successes, things that you don't necessarily get access to. A good doc concert documentary will expose that and will share that with, with the audience. The band has been together 16 years. possible way of life. I couldn't uh, live with 20 years on the road. I don't think I could even discuss it. We gave our final concert, the band's final concert. We called it The Last Walls. 
so speaking of some of the best costume documentaries ever made, um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the ones. There seems to be a period of time, and um, you know, if you guys are listening to this and you're going, wow, you're forgetting this documentary, that documentary, go ahead and you know, let us know which ones we're, we're leaving out. But for me, as I look at the era of concert documentaries and I try to pick a point in time when some really great ones were made, I keep going back to the 60s, you know, to 1968, 69, 70, 71, 72, like in, in that, maybe even to the late 70s, some really great concert documentaries were made. And some of those were made by a, a guy, his name is D.A. Pennybaker. And he made a series of films. Um, and of course, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, the, the case is being at the right place at the right time, you know. Uh, and I think a lot of things were starting to converge in the 60s. You know, you had, uh, you know, film and TV and, and, you know, mass production, people going to show, you know, um, going to concerts, but also the opportunity to document them. Technology was getting was And there getting were people better, that were not know? able to go to some of these festivals or shows financially, or they, you know, I mean, there were there wasn't as much, I don't think, accessibility to shows as then, and so they had to show it, you know, mass marketed, show it on TV so people could see it. Right, right. And Danny Pennebaker, uh, one of my favorite concert documentary uh, directors, um, has directed some of my favorite documentaries, and uh, one of those um, is uh, Monterey Pop Festival. So during that. Uh, festival, of course, that one has a famous scene with Jimi Hendrix, you know, lighting uh, his guitar on fire during Wild Thing, and you know, the Guess Who, and um, Janis Joplin, Janis Joplin, and big, Grateful you know, Dead hanging you know, out. There's I mean, a lot of interesting story. If you start to look at the backstory and some of the, you know, some of the uh, subplots to uh, to give me to uh, uh, Monterey Pop Festival, you begin to realize uh, how great a film that was, documenting that that specific moment in time, because a lot of bands went up and went down. After that, can you imagine you know? that? Do you think like there would ever be like a Justin Bieber, Green Day, Carrie Underwood, like all in one place, at one time being documented? I don't know if they're. I think it's. It just seems like their egos maybe would just be too much for that. Well, I think a couple things will have to be in play here. You're, you're looking at D.A. Pennybaker. He was using a, a a style of filmmaking called cinema cinema verite, which basically means real cinema. You know, really putting the camera up in people's faces and you know just not a lot of you know, just just with all the production these value days, too. I don't it's, think it's, it, it would you know, happen. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know a lot of content documentaries that I've seen lately just don't really grab you. They don't they don't have the realness and the, you know kind of the humanity coming out of it. And Dave Pennybaker, just the way that he used the film and the cinema verite, it just uh, I, I can watch those films over and over and over again. So uh, a lot of the ones that he did, uh, obviously you have um, you know Give Me Shelter or. He didn't actually direct Give Me Shelter. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But um, uh, Don't Look Back, uh, chronicling the 1969 tour, no, 65 tour of uh, uh, Bob Dylan. So a lot of great moments you know, in that. And again, he's just, Penny Baker's on, really on target with, uh, with that. Um, but uh, speaking of, you brought up the Dixie Chicks earlier. One of the concert documentaries that I think is very similar to that in that it captures a band at a controversial time is the, the film Gimme Shelter. Welcome to the breakfast show.
38 now KFRC. This is Frank Terry, and let me repeat. The Rolling Stones free concert is going to be on tomorrow at the Altamont Speedway. Apparently, it's one of the most difficult things in the world to give a free concert. So that is, uh, of course, documentary in the 1969 tour of the Rolling Stones, which many of, many of us know, you know, culminated in the, uh, the, the uh, you know, Hell's Angels incident at uh, Altamont uh, where somebody was killed and, you know, it was really a tragic kind of an end to, you know, the peace and love uh, era of the 60s. You know, that was, there was a series of events going on and that movie, if you watch that, you know, you see the, um, you know, just the, uh, the despair in the Rolling Stones as they're watching, you know, the, the footage and, you know, it, that movie captures kind of the aftermath of, the Hell's Angels guy on the, you know, he, go, he calls in and he talks about his, uh, you know, how he doesn't have any remorse, you know, for doing that. And, and it just, it's, it's a great film, you know, it's, it's dark, but it's, it's also one of those dark, beautiful, you know, kind of films uh, with, with that. And you said you haven't seen that before. I have not. How did you make it this far? I, I have seen not that. seen it. I think I've check, seen, you gotta check it out. I've seen pieces good. of it, you know, but, but well, you've I seen think... the Rolling Stones live. I have. Right? I have seen the Rolling Stones live. Yes, Mick Jagger and his right. moves, um, for sure. I, 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 they weren't great seats. <laughs> they were um, nosebleed seats. And I believe we saw them at the UIC Pavilion, me and a friend and I. Um, and it was kind of, that's kind of an interesting when we're talking about parents. Um, her parents had, the, the plan was for them to drop us off. We had the tickets way in advance. I think they were like $50 a piece. Yeah. Maybe fifty or sixty dollars a piece, which were you know for me, high school it was like wow you know that's a lot of money to spend on tickets. But this is the Rolling Stones. I mean, how can you you know when you get a chance to see them? And um, her parents dropped us off, and at some point the parent because they're huge Rolling Stones fans, they must have scalped it or found a sculptor to get tickets because when they um, we met them at the meeting place that we were supposed to meet after the show. <laughs> They um, had been at the show. They actually got in, so um, so we kind of laughed with them, and and they actually got better tickets than we did. You know, hearing you talk about this this whole experience, I mean, it was it, it was as if it just happened yesterday. You know, it seems like it just you just got back from the show last night. But uh, you know, one of the one of the elements of uh, the age that we live in today, where everybody every fan has a uh, mobile phone, they can record a video. Uh, they can take a picture and they can upload that within within seconds to, to YouTube. So uh, one quick note on concert documentaries that are fan-made and are based off of media created by fans and kind of put together in a collage or you know a, a mishmash of concert fan experiences. Um, you, you gotta you, we, you know we gotta mention Beastie Boys. Uh, I f and shot that. Of course, you know we're editing here for. For that, but uh, the Beastie Boys, uh, I F and shot that is a good example of the Beastie Boys empowering the fans and say, hey, here's a you know here's some here's a camera, here's you know here's our concert, go shoot it. We're gonna put it together. We're gonna make you know we're gonna make a a, a movie out of it. So not a complete success, but I think it you know it, it's a very interesting movie to watch. You know, and it's one that uh, kind of inspires you after you watch it to go to a show and and and. and want to do that so there's been other some uh some other examples on the web uh, uh radiohead uh in uh, Prague, uh spain or, or prague actually sorry um they 
they took some fans, gave them some, uh, you know, fans took uh, different segments of this show, and Radio, Radiohead said, go ahead and do this, and they actually commissioned these people to go ahead and film this and upload it to YouTube, so you can watch that, and uh, we actually have a little experiment on that on Live Fix, so some really great experiences, and I want to see more of that, you know, I want to see more fans taking their experiences and putting them into context instead of just these individual streams of, of just what's going on you know I, I think we're going to start to see more people more concert fans putting context you know to their experiences by documentary because you can look back at any of these concert documentaries over the last you know 20 30 40 50 years and you can lay out the best ones and the best ones tell a story they zero in on a specific experience and they and they really unfold that so and i want to see more concert fans i think more people are going to start to do that instead of just aimlessly rolling uh you know their um uh video so uh, we're just about wrapping this up, and uh, one of the things that I wanted to to explore here, and I know, Colin, you're the, you're the uh, historian here, but we uh, we tried to find the very first concert documentary that was that was made, and what I could find so far, and again, this is kind of an ongoing experiment, so you know there might be some other um, examples, but as far back as I could find was the Tammy Show. It's T A M I uh, acronym. In 1964, it basically was like a variety show concert that uh, had which ja featured James Brown. James Brown, right? And uh, which is one of the very first times that you know he had been playing for a few years before that. But once you know you see him on TV, you know, and you see him doing the um, the uh, you know his just his moves, his visual performance his of James moves. Brown is like <laughs> wow, you know. And it's one thing to hear James Brown, but to see him is His a whole other experience, right. right? And the same thing with Elvis, you know, when people started to see him moving around, it was like, wow. So, so the Tammy show seems to be the very first concert, doc, concert documentary that, you know, took the concert experience, put some, sh put some performances together and, 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 you know, made it a, made it a show. So, um, and, you know, D.A. Pennebaker came out afterwards with, uh, you know, Don't Look Back, but... I really want to see, is the Tammy show actually the very first concert documentary you know, ever made? If not, I want to know which one was. Uh, because if this is the beginning, I want to see what was the very last concert documentary made in 2012. You know, where, and I think where, it's how you, you define know? a documentary. Right. Sure. Because I'm sure there's a lot of videos out there of documenting, you know, even like bands who had uh, you know, availability to equipment at that point, that kind of when their band was going on tour, they had physical tape. I'm sure there's a lot of that out there, and I think we're going to start to see more and more of that. Um, we recently had uh, seen something on, I think it was on Netflix, and it was the drummer for Police, and it was all old documentary. It was an old, all the old footage from their tours they put together. Oh yeah, you yeah. know, and I think you know that's what you're going to see. You're going to see people going back into their closets and into you know their memorabilia and see if they can find. And post it on YouTube. Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. There's a lot of great stories out there. I think that people have not told that they're going to go back exactly like like you're like you're saying, and they're going to retell their stories because there's footage out there. There's there's lots over, you know, a billion millions of videos on YouTube of people having their phones that. And unfortunately, where some of the greatest music was made, uh, there was no financial backing to have the equipment. You know, you're looking at like the blues in the in the south side of Chicago and playing on the street. You know, you're looking right? at the the farms Market, in Kansas yeah. and Memphis. You know, those are places that probably did not have 
any equipment, you know, most of your average, you know, middle class families didn't have, you know, camcorder when there was some great music produced. So that's going to be hard, but I, I do b believe it's out there. And we, it will, yeah, we it shall, will surface, uh, and it has surfaced. We shall see, right? Right. We'll have to follow up this show with another one. But uh, that just about wraps it up. Fantastic show. Thank you so much for everybody for, for listening. And uh, we want to know what your favorite concert documentary is. So go ahead and give us a shout out on the uh, Concert Fan Live Fix uh, podcast hotline, 773-609-4341. We want to hear what you guys, uh, what you think is the best concert documentary ever made. And, uh, of course, we'll Or have... do you agree with us? Yeah, yeah. Like what, what did we miss? I mean, we only have an hour here to talk about our favorite shows, and you can only really focus on a couple of them. But we're bound to miss out and leave off some ones, you know, that you guys may think are, are uh, you know, Worth the best, watching. right? So let us know. Again, 773-609-4341. Give us a shout-out on that. Again... Uh, follow us on Facebook and uh, Twitter. And uh, as always, we'll have those show notes at livefixblog.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you guys later.